Welcome to the BG Podcast, conversations at the intersection of business, community, and public policy from the Austin metro and around Texas. You can find this episode and prior recordings at www.binghamgp.com slash podcast and on iTunes and Google Play. Hello, this is AJ Bingham, CEO of the Bingham Group, and our guest today is Michael Shu, the principal of Michael Shu Office of Architecture. Welcome to the show, Michael. Hey, good morning. Good to good morning. see you. Good morning. Um, so our topic today is going to be COVID-19's impact on the built environment. And it's something that we've been reading about a lot, you know, last several months, especially in Austin, as you're well aware uh, of our booming commercial residential market. And we want to get you on the show. It's because you are, you and your firm are behind some of Austin's most, uh, I think, iconic projects in the city, both residential and commercial. And, uh, I think, yeah, you'd be a, just an authority to speak on some of these things. And I personally wanted to meet you and get your opinion on them. Thank you. Yeah, I right. appreciate that. <laughs> so to start with, can we just give a quick background for those who aren't familiar um, with the Austin market on who you, who you and your firm are, the kind of work you do? Yeah, yeah. Um, we're an architecture and interior design firm. And, uh, you know, Really started off in hospitality and custom homes, so hotels and restaurants like South Congress Hotel, the Line Hotel, uh, Uchi, Uchiko, ATX Casino, P. Terry's, those, those sorts all of favorites. things. All favorites, yeah. <laughs> good, good. Um, and right now we have uh, about 53 staff members, haven't lost anyone, very thankful for that yet. Um, and uh, opened an office in Houston last year, but we've been in Austin since... 2005 so it's our 15th year anniversary UT grad grew up in Houston so sort of a Texas boy but we do a lot of our work out of state mm -hmm. well we'll talk to you too we can do that later in the show just about what you're seeing in the Houston out of your Houston office in the market there mm -hmm. but we can get to it so just overall Michael what are you seeing you know COVID it relatively is only about three months ago it seems like it's been a year oh, and maybe the ripples of what the impact will be aren't necessarily there yet kind of like a tsunami but what do you I mean, amongst your peers locally state and in the, the national market even internationally what are you seeing in terms of uh just the impact on the built environment yeah yeah well there are definitely design impacts and then there's a lot of huge business impacts and they're almost sort of two different things and then when i speak to my clients we talk about sort of short-term changes like how do we get our clients back open again how do we operate um, what is human behavior like in the short term? And then what is human behavior going to, how is it going to be different in the long term? So how do we redesign buildings that are on the boards now, or we will be designing in the future sort of versus what can we do now to sort of make people safe and feel safe to come back to uh, all the spaces that they're used to sort of occupying, including their own home. You know, we're, we've actually been doing more residential projects lately than uh, I thought we would, which is really interesting. Um, people are really concentrating on their, their home space. Mm -hmm. Well, these homes that were still on the drawing boards and they're, you're, they're being reconfigured now in light of just, uh, I mean, for, you know, for again, for folks who may not have necessarily had a full on or been prepared to work from home. Yeah. You know, continuously, it was more of a kind of a Saturday thing, right? Are you seeing people saying, look, I want to build yeah. a full on office nook for this reason and also even for kids, right? I mean, yeah, after that in too. Yeah, you know, it's not so much homes that are under construction. Those, those um, were tweaking a little bit. It's really people uh, saying, you know what, now is the time to think about 
taking maybe some of the earnings from the last cycle and, and, re and investing it in their home space. Um, just because we're in our homes now and we're paying a lot more attention to our own little cozy environments. And they have to do so much more work than they did even a few months ago. Um, you know, we're not traveling. A lot of our clients like you, you know, you're sort of on your feet or in airplanes a lot. And um, they're now looking for their homes to do a lot more things for them. Mm -hmm. And what do you see? I mean, is it similar to what you're seeing in the Houston market too? With the IU Houston office? Yeah, Houston's so interesting. Um, Houston was really, really busy for us, and we continue to be really busy there. But I think the forecast for Houston, um, I just saw a commission report from very high-level uh, REIT, and uh, they're expecting the recovery in Houston to sort of lag the national recovery, and definitely lag Austin just because of oil and gas. I think Austin has sort of a different, very different economy. Houston's, especially with hospitality and F&B, a lot of the businesses still international and related to sort of travel entertainment with the uh, energy sort of sector there. Um, and, you know, those people aren't traveling. That sector is having a horrible, horrible couple of quarters and probably a horrible sort of a short-term future. Um, so the recovery there is a little bit slower. But what we're hearing from our Houston clients is, you know, the better quality projects are going to be the ones that get attention and have more potential for financing. So um, if anything, people are reinvesting in the sort of design, in the bath to basics. It's like, let's just make it as quality as possible. I hear anecdotally from some of my friends and colleagues uh, more in the development sector, just a lot, I mean, a lot of folks who were in Austin during 2008 in that recession cycle, um, I mean, it's, it's kind of a varied, you have people that are cautiously optimistic and people are saying, no, it's going to be 2008 times 10. We're trying to reserve as much cash as possible and just wait this out till maybe Q1 2022 or something like that. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. wh wh what's your feel for it? Again, this is all speculative, right? Because we're getting information literally by the hour, sometimes day, you know, day by day or by the hour from yeah. multiple sources of authority. So <laughs> but what's your, just your, you being your, your impression is, uh, on, you know, no, um, no uh, disclosure on, on terms of, uh, you know, people should rely on it. But what do you think, just in your opinion? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. I think maybe I have a, a slightly different um, sort of niche. Quite a few of our clients, um, the, the F&B definitely slowed down. They put everything on pause. And that's food. For those who don't know, that's food and beverage. Food and beverage. Yeah. Food Sorry and, to use yeah. too much lingo. <laughs> Yeah, um, F&B is part of hospitality. So when I speak of hospitality, that usually means restaurants, bars, hotels, resorts, entertainment. Um, it could even mean spas and, and things like that. So, you know, those people are having a horrible time right now. And uh, those things definitely slow down, but we're having some of those things come back online now, mm -hmm. which, is, which has been great. And they're definitely the better operators. Um, on the real estate side, We've had quite a few projects be put on hold that were large. And then we've had a few jobs that were large that they're just downsizing or phasing. So they're looking at, you know, not a complete stop, but a, you know, a, a bit of a slowdown, more methodical uh, approach. And what they're telling us is that they have to kind of conform to the criteria that underwriting and, and financing is going to have coming out of this, which is going to be more stringent. Um, but what they're also, what, what way do you, I mean, just to, for those who don't know. Yeah, they, they, um, you know, they, they can't 
be based necessarily. I think a lot of uh, real estate was based on, well, by the time this gets out of the ground, the numbers are really strong because they're forecasting sort of continued growth. Now, if we're flat, those, those performance all really change. So we're having to, uh, projects are ongoing, but they're cutting budgets. They want them to be more sort of value laden. Um, we're looking for savings and construction costs. There's, there's quite a few people hoping and uh, betting that construction pricing will slow down. You know, that's, that was a tremendous sort of escalation of construction prices, especially in Austin in mm-hmm. the last few years. So they're hoping that that sort of plateaus or even dips a little bit. And so you're seeing some pause there. People are just saying, hey, if we wait a few months, maybe we'll see the price of this whole job come down. Mm-hmm. What are you seeing in terms of, um, so, and again, when we talk about the built environment, that's just as a person, how, how I would inter- interact with an office lobby or my you know, office floor, those kind of things. Are you seeing from your firm and also maybe from your colleagues, what kind of uh, requests are coming down for, yeah. for companies? So, you know, for example, like if you have a big tech company that already has a building in Austin and their employees may not be coming back until 2021 at some point. And so they have time to say, look, we want you to go in here and do X, Y, and Z mm-hmm. because yeah, at some point these people will be back in the office. And, you know, what does that look like? Right. Right. I think there's some big questions people are trying to answer, um, which is uh, to sort of have an office space for the same size staff. Does it need to be as actually, does it need to be as big as it used to be if, if half my staff is just permanently working at home? Um, and it may be a cyclical sort of staff. Um, and I'm talking about like post COVID even the idea that an office isn't a place where staff comes and works every day where it's really more of a social space, more of a landing space, um, more of a brand space mm-hmm. to where you really are receiving clients and vendors and doing uh, major you know, meetings and you still need that, um, but it's not a place where people come every day and work. So um, there's a lot of talk about that. The sort of large rooms where staff was sort of benching on four foot long tables is, yeah, that's probably going to change at least in the short term for sure um especially in markets like texas where space isn't as as much of a premium as say in new york or san francisco so we're definitely seeing that um and if you think about office spaces looking a little bit more like the sort of co-working things that we're accustomed to now um or hospitality space for that matter like a hotel lobby or a restaurant that that may be one model for what the office of the future looks like it's already been trending that way uh, so you're seeing maybe people considering like, well, you know, maybe, maybe we don't need to do all these benches. We're also listening and, uh, to people talking about offices within offices. So instead of one giant room, really breaking it up into smaller groups. So the marketing group, the accounting group, the sales group, they all may have sort of different spaces where they can control because all those people have different behavioral patterns, different psychological sort of patterns, um, introverts, extroverts and really trying to tweak it more to people. So I think the sort of last trend that we saw, which is through everyone in a giant room, it's all collaborative, capital C, and it's all you know gonna be beautiful and wonderful. Um, that, that's that's gonna change drastically, I think. Yeah, I mean, the open, you know, we're, it's a contraction back from the open floor plan to basically, and I mean, I was a child in the 80s, but just seeing, you see the movies in the 80s, like Wall Street, I mean, everyone's not Wall Street, but just 
those corporate kind of setting movies. Everyone has like, this, this floor is marketing, this floor is this. And to your point, right. They're all kind of, they're all that kind of, they're all zoned, zoned out. Yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. And then the technology, we're looking at um, touchless revolving doors, uh, software for elevators that you can schedule sort of elevator visits, trying to sort of stratify users, which means, um, you know, it, it's challenging to go into a 30-story building in some cities, you know, 50-story buildings. And what does that look like? Now, how do you do that and feel sort of safe? And um, how do you make a staff person feel safe? How do you make an executive feel safe, like a CEO? Um, going back to their office. Mm -hmm. So those are the questions. Helipads came back in style. What's that? A helipad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is it is funny. We are working on a job right now where one of the requirements is a helicopter pad on the roof. Yeah. Well I guess I mean we'll see what happens with uh I know Uber is working on a at least I, was, I see in the, in the business journal sometimes there there's like an Uber helicopter service that's oh, man. for Dallas. Yeah. But you know what I mean? I guess like you know, uh, necessity is a mother of all necessity is a mother of all invention. So a lot of these things, the trends that you were seeing, you know, even professional services might not have been you know, meeting meeting by video or by phone was mm -hmm. not preferable to meeting in person, but now it is the thing to do, right? Yeah. I'll bet note too, just as I'm curious, just from your take as you know, professional services firm, what are things, if anything, that's changed with COVID um, in, your, in your practice, right? I mean, you ha you have an office here, everyone in in, in Houston, we are folks. And the nature of your work, and again, I'm not familiar with architecture beyond the aesthetics of it all. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, it's a collaborative effort, I'm assuming. So I mean, was it, was it, was it already trending towards, you know, kind of as long as your book can see the same drawing and you need to be in the same room, or is that more of a culture thing? Or how, I mean, how has it changed, COVID changed uh, your, your office structures? Yeah, yeah. That's a great question. It's, it's one we've been thinking a lot about because you're absolutely right. We're collaborative sort of profession. Um, but it's not collaborative all the time. You know, we're collaborative on the design end of it, but then when we get into putting drawings and overseeing construction, that's a little bit more task oriented. Mm -hmm. So the creative collaborative side has definitely been a challenge because um, seeing someone's response face to face, like real time at a table and sharing a piece of paper is, is really powerful and it's how we're trained in school. So we're, we're doing it digitally now. Um, the thing is, we've been preparing for this for a while. You know, pretty much all our projects are digital now. We don't build a lot of physical models anymore. Um, we can sketch on screen, and it's what graduates are taught now. Coming out of um, universities is, uh, you know, pretty much digital design. Um, all our presentations are in VR, so um, that's been interesting because we can't sort of get in front of clients and have them have goggles on all the time because they had to come to our studio to get into our VR, um, our VR studio. What was that set up like? You were quick. So you have the Oculus Rift or what did y'all, how did that, uh, at, some yeah. point, at some point I went down, you know, a year from now, I want to see that in person too. Oh yeah. It's really incredible. It's near game quality stuff. We render our models up um, at the final version to where you really feel like you're in the space. And um, not only is it a great tool for clients to understand what it is that we're, we're designing for them, uh, it's a great tool for tenants, for users. Um, when we do a mixed-use project, right, a lot of our projects are mixed-use, so you have office, retail, housing, parking, all sorts of stuff crammed on just. So every different user type has different expectations. So the VR model really cuts through all of that sort of stuff 
and is a very direct, immersive way to sort of have someone understand what it is you're, you're, you know, you're designing for them. Um, and we've had VR virtual reality meetings to where clients are remote and we've shared uh, a model and we're essentially virtually walking through a project, even though they may be, you know, thousands of miles away. Uh, we had one client, we did a VR walkthrough while they were in, the, uh, in Asia, um, even. So that's definitely an ongoing thing. And, you know, as we sort of get through this, we're going to be investigating more in, in, in that. We also use other tools like Miro, which is like a virtual whiteboard to help collaborate so that we can do uh, real-time collaboration and look at images together and draw on top of each other's work. And it can be asynchronous, which has also been really powerful. Asynchronous just meaning um, I do a little work, you review it, you think about it, you do a little work. And so it's just a live board, but we're not there at the same time. Um, and for sort of people who design at a different speed or, you know, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, that's been a, a wonderful tool because you're not forced to sort of respond like right away. Mm -hmm. I think about it from the sense of, for me, I think it's different working with senior folks, right? Because the reality for my business, as I've seen with this is, most of it is, it's, it was virtual, right? It was, uh, you know, phone calls, emails, a lot of texting. Obviously, you have in-person meetings, but in the fact, in the time of the day, a lot of it was spent just, I needed a phone and an internet connection and a laptop. And yeah. the key part, though, of, of an office environment, I think for any professional service group, and it's something I'm thinking about now, um, we're starting some new interns in June, is just the training aspect, right? I mean, because the best training, I, th I personally feel, is when you're right next to the a senior person taking in the link digesting the language like they're a child right picking up yeah. the language and this how the flow of a, of a meeting and then there's the technical part which you can do with a course i can give you a curriculum and we can walk through it but seeing it being in meetings and things is something that i mean it, that's the reality we have to we have to adapt to it because that's that's what we're moving towards because we you know i want to keep our our pipeline of talent coming in but it is something that wasn't uh it's it's just definitely a um, a uh, inflection point that a dramatic inflection point that was unexpected. <laughs> and what yeah. not my preferred way of doing things, but you know we have to we have to roll with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's definitely challenging. It it is a yeah. It's it's a very strange thing. Um, yeah. So collaboration's a, a a big part of what we're doing. You know, you know what's really interesting is that the you know, the big trend in real estate and commercial real estate was in mixed use developments, um, i.e. the domain or Mueller, or, you know, you could even call South Congress uh, mixed use sort of neighborhood, even though it's not a cohesive development. And a lot of the work that's coming out of the better developers really are in um, high quality mixed use. So about placemaking, things like urbanism, which things you're very interested in, I know you are, mm -hmm. and density. And those things are being questioned now. I mean, all of a sudden space is dangerous and um, people want to be outdoors. So the outdoor malls, for lack of a better term, are definitely going to outperform the indoor malls. I, I, I worry for places like, you know, Barton Creek Mall and those places left over from the 80s. Um, they're they're going to have, you know, a tough, tough time, I think. Um, but this mixed use thing, you know, so much of what, retail and, and um, commercial design is about, is about just bringing people together, about socializing, and then maybe they'll buy something or eat a little dinner, but it's about getting people out of their houses and, and these sort of uh, 
um, communities and forming sort of memorable experiences that you can share with your family and your friends. So those are in question now. So we're trying to figure out what do we do with these mixed-use developments? Because um, people still want to be together, but how do we do it a little bit more safely and, and make people comfortable? Mm -hmm. That's one of the things, too. I, I'm definitely going to be digging on this, digging into this in some future shows or episodes. But just the idea of, I mean, you know, there are groups in Austin, and now it's national campaigns for, for density, right? For mixed-use, for, um, you know, having, like, focused corridors of development and, and so on. But with all this, I think that was definitely the majority of council was moving towards that under the land, the well, it's stalled now, the, land, the most recent land development code. Um, but again, you see this, you know, you see a lot of the talk about why New York, the city was hit so hard because of just the density aspect. And yeah. again, I mean, and, you know, it's the ripples are still are only probably just now starting to become little waves and on, but in terms of the impact on our culture, let alone how we build and everything else interact. But I, I wonder, and we'll see, how, we'll see, we'll see how it plays out in the next several, probably the first half, the first part of this decade or this full decade, what that means for Austin, because there was, I think it's always been about a, a more or less balanced contingent of folks who are pro density as, you know, anti density, you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. And it's different. I mean, you lay on top of that pandemic that changes the, the tone of the conversation when it's about, healthcare and you might you might have folks who aren't necessarily as invested in as we are and this whole pro knowledgeable but to them it's more about do i want space do i want to have a, you know my two acres and like that or i want do i want to be able to touch my neighbor's uh uh wall right yeah 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 we'll see. i don't know i mean i we'll see how we'll see how it plays out but i think it's it'll be it i mean it can't be ignored it will be a major point of development yeah it, it really will be interesting because I think there's definitely a case to be made like, hey, New York scale density is, can be dangerous. I mean, but, um, you know, Austin's not anywhere close to that sort of density. Well, Texas isn't for that matter, really. Um, so it's like, what is the appropriate scale? Because I think what people are appreciating more is a neighborhood scale level of density because everyone's living much closer to where they, they you know, they, their home is right now. Um, so we're not traveling as much, but the close by sort of trusted businesses in your area are, have become all of a sudden much more important, right? Everyone's walking in their neighborhood. There is a little bit more closeness. Um, we're all living in a little bit of a smaller area, which to me encourages this notion that we should continue to build complete smaller communities inside of our larger city. So when you look, I live in Rosedale right now. Mm -hmm. um, but I've lived in Clarksville in the past. I've lived in Hyde Park a little bit, Bolden, um, those sorts of neighborhoods where, you know, everything you need is sort of close at hand, almost walkable. Um, I think those notions are things that, you know, almost a back to basics style of neighborhood are things that people will come to appreciate more coming out of this. Great. Well, Michael, thanks for your time. Thanks for being the show. Um, Love to have you back on as, you know, down the, well, in the next several months as this, as we, as more information and, and things come out. But uh, I'll lead you back to your report. Actually, one more thing I wanted to ask you, what, if you can talk about it, what, uh, what projects, what cool projects do you have coming in the pipeline as next, these next few quarters? If you can um, yeah. Yeah. In, in Austin, um, well, Plaza Saltillo is pretty much launching completely now. And, uh, you know, what's interesting, we're, we're working on projects much further east along 183 and even I-30. 
um, which is where the sort of land is for, um, you know, new homes that are priced at a point that are, you know, attainable, I think. Um, so these are not fancy things. These are not developments you'd see like in West or even North Boston. This is uh, sort of a little bit further East and I'm excited about those. I think there's a lot of interest and a lot of people, there are gonna be a lot of people out there with a lot of needs that are right now unprovided for that we're working on um, at a cost that sort of uh, is the right fit for that area. Yeah, now I've driven out there. I've, well, I've seen some of the homes at least kind of on the frontier, if you want to call it that, and uh, yeah. going on the Eastern Crescent. And uh, yeah, I mean, there it's it's definitely tempted me a few times. Yeah, I'm in Mila right now. I was like, yeah, these are. I mean, one and again, growing up here, you realize it's the same way. Like you know, just I grew up. When I was in middle school when um, when um, not not North Cross Mall. Jeez, it's the one. Oh my god, the one the furthest like North Austin Mall. Um, Oh yeah, uh, what was that called? Yeah, no, you know I'm talking about. It was, that was the newest mall. Yeah, I was, yeah. oh my god, but past that mall, when I was in middle school, high school, it was just a FM road, and it was all wood. Yeah, I think Freescale used to be up there. Past that, yeah. right? There was nothing there. I come back my first year of law school, and my brother, you know, he's a Bowie. He had a, a meet up there, and we're driving. My parents were driving and driving past Lakeline Mall. And, yeah, uh, and I'm like, we're going on the highway. Whoa, people live this far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my mind. I mean, as the, the as the growth of Austin, I'm a, and I'm a South Austin guy. So anything to me north of the river, it might as well be, you know, South Dallas anyway. <laughs> Mentally, um, you know, for those who don't know, I think in the '90s, if you lived in South Austin, you really didn't go north of the river for anything. You lived north, north and west. You never came south for anything because you just, just didn't. Downtown really didn't exist for anything but business. Yeah. So. It's been interesting to see the growth and now going, um, you know, even the east side growth as well and the growth going on, far, you know, far east on the, along the eastern crescent and then de definitely downtown. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, Michael. Yeah. So, again, thank you for your time. And um, I'm sure there'll be more things to talk about in the coming quarters on all of this. But I wish you and your business and your family uh, good health and um, just have a great rest of the week. You as well. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to today's BG podcast. You can find this episode and prior recordings at www.binghamgp.com podcast and iTunes and Google Play. Subscribe to stay current on future posts.